people have in their minds this that, that sort of a Hollywood movie with this army of robots kind of marching into their town and taking over the local restaurants and the local hairdressers and so on. And it isn't going to be like that at all. This is Fortune Favors the Bowl, a branded podcast from MasterCard and Gimlet Creative. I'm Ashley Seaford. And that guy painting a scene out of a suburban sci-fi thriller? That's Graham Codrington. He's an author and researcher who focuses on the future of work and the forces that are shaping it. Graham spends his time thinking about what we need to be doing right now to make sure we aren't left behind as technology changes quickly. And yes, as the robots arrive. In this podcast, we've talked a lot about work and how it's changing, which makes sense. It's a podcast about money, and that's where we make it. In the very first episode of Fortune Favors the Bold, we told stories of risk-takers choosing to join the gig economy and valuing experience over stability. Then we looked at how our ideas of success are changing, away from ownership and towards meaning and fulfilling our potential. And today we're talking about what we need to do to implement these new values, the skills we need to be learning to keep up with a rapidly changing workplace. Graham says we have to start out by asking ourselves a pretty simple question. The question is, what can't the machines do? Because that's actually where the secret to future-proofing our careers comes from. Future-proofing our careers. I love that phrase. It's the actions that we can do to make sure we have the work we want five, 10, even 50 years down the line. And I love Graham's answer, that we should consider what machines can't do and what only humans can become more human than we already are. We're going to get back to all that later in the episode. But first, I want to introduce you to someone someone who set out to future-proof his own career in a pretty surprising way. Uh, I'm Chris Donovan. Chris is in his late 50s. He's a big guy, tall and kind of pleasantly gruff. And he has this really great Boston accent. Um, I was born in Massachusetts. The big chunk of it was in Worcester, Massachusetts, where I went to high school and college. For the first 25 years of his career, Chris worked at a telephone company. It was a very sensible, very secure, very what-everybody-does job. He put phones in. So you do your installs. Took them apart. We did a lot of fiber optics. And put them back together. And do all the wiring and repair work there. Chris was good at his job. And it was fine. But the whole time, he had this other dream of a whole different career. It was something he imagined every single day for years. It was, I think, 35 years and never left. That's, what, that's how I knew it was a passion. It wasn't a fling. It, wasn't, it was something I always loved. The thing he always loved was shoes. The heels, the soles. Chris can go on for ages talking about structure and fabrics and how leather can bend and fold in crazy, beautiful ways. It started way back when he was a high school student in the 70s. The girls all wore these really, really bad uniforms. And the only way the girls could express themselves were through their, their shoes. I remember the first time I saw one of the girls walk into class with these massive platforms on. And I'm like, 
wow, I've never even noticed shoes before. And, and then my mind just started churning. And then I just started sketching. And I sketched and I filled up all my notebooks with them and it just kept on going. Chris sketched on napkins, backs of receipts, on school notebooks. He sketched on the bus, during class, at home. He drew shoes with crazy geometric heels with flowers growing out of them. His imagination really did run wild. And on his desk at the telephone company, next to his work logs and equipment catalogs, were stacks of Vogue magazines. He always had a copy of the latest issue. Well, it'd be, it'd be on my desk during lunch hour and coffee breaks and stuff like that, you know, or if you're on a really, really long conference call and you're not really part of it, you sit there and you flip through your vote or either that or a sketching during those calls. A few years ago, when Chris was 50 years old, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. They caught it early, treated it, and he's fine now. But like these kinds of scares sometimes do, it woke him up. Working at the telephone company for the rest of his life was not the future he wanted. So he decided it was finally time to pursue his dream. He took all of his sketches and put them into a portfolio and sent it to one of the best design schools in the world, the Polymoda Institute of Fashion in Florence, Italy. And I got accepted. So Chris packed his bags, and his co-workers at the telephone company were surprised. I know in the back of them, their minds, they were thinking, oh, he's crazy. You know, because I think that's what people think. It was like, you're, you're going off doing something that's kind of unheard of. You know, shoes, Italy. It's like, where, where is that all coming from, you know? On his very first day of school, Chris walked into class to realize he was the oldest person in his program. And also older than almost all of his teachers, too. I mean, he was surrounded by 22-year-old design students. In fashion school, you can imagine how much Chris stood out. Um, a couple of people mistook me for the janitor. And I was still dressed like a phone guy. I, I, the only thing I had were je- old jeans and T-shirts. And um, they thought I, you know, someone came over and asked me to clean a mess up that was on the floor. And I'm like, who do you think I am? <laughs> I'm like, oh, aren't you, aren't you the janitor? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm a fashion student. <laughs> Chris had a lot of catching up to do. And in order to become the new and improved Chris, he needed to learn a whole new batch of skills. Things he didn't learn at the telephone company, that's for sure. And I remember the first day, orientation, they told us, it's like, oh, you know, you have to uh, do a collection of five shoes, you know, professionally made shoes. And I'm like, oh my God. And it wasn't just the ancient art of shoemaking that he had to learn for the very first time. Well, yeah, I had to learn to do Photoshop, uh, which I had no experience with at all. Um, I had to learn all the software for uh, iMovie and create my own uh, little collection movie. It was a lot. And when Chris graduated, top of his class, by the way, he realized that to have a successful business, a future-proof business, he had to learn a whole other set of skills, like how to build a website and how to market himself through social media. I remember the very first photo I put on Instagram. I only had one photo on my whole thing, and I get this message from this very, very well-known model and stylist 
Uh, she does a lot of avant-garde clothing and shoes. She goes, I love this. I want to wear it at PFW. And I'm like, what's PFW? Oh, it's Paris Fashion Week. Oh my God. <laughs> and I know who this woman is. She's famous. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I didn't even know how to answer her at the time because I didn't know how to respond to like these messages. <laughs> Today, Chris is running his own shoe business, getting his first collection off the ground. And he finally learned how to respond to those Instagram messages. But there's still lots more to learn. They're doing some amazing things. You can actually 3D print shoes that are totally wearable and comfortable. Would you ever make a 3D shoe? Oh, in a heartbeat. So Chris chose to learn new skills so he could finally pursue the future he wanted for himself. But for most people today, future-proofing their careers by learning new skills is not necessarily a choice. It's a requirement. 2025 is not actually very long from now. And yet, 65% of the graduates um, in 2025 might be doing a job that hasn't even been invented yet. That's futurist Amy Zalman. And what she just said, it's pretty crazy. Kids who are freshmen in high school right now When they graduate college, most of them will get jobs that do not exist yet. Because the workplace and technology is changing so quickly, we need to actively be keeping up. What is emerging as possibly the most important skill is the capacity to learn, um, is the ability to be a version of lifelong learner. And some of the biggest companies today are helping their employees be lifelong learners through major training programs that teach existing employees skills like programming, digital literacy, even basic robotics. And that last skill, that's something that people who think about these things talk about a lot. How automation is entering our work lives. Now, there's no doubt that robots have already started to incorporate themselves into our day-to-day. I mean, I used self-checkout at the drugstore just this morning. And there's a whole range when it comes to automation, from those self-checkouts to driverless cars, to even robot therapists, which are supposedly in the works. And there's this question that's hard to avoid. As automation becomes more and more common, what will it look like to work alongside it? Do you have a favorite robot? It's like a it's like a parent asking which child's their favorite. <laughs> we we, uh, we like all of them. They all have their different skills, I guess you would say, and challenges, just like any kid would. But they they all do different things. Um, there's no favorite. They're all unique. That's Rob Goldies. He's the CEO and co-founder of Hirobotics a two-year-old startup company located in Nashville. Hirobotics helps companies, mostly in the manufacturing sector, incorporate automation into their workplace. The robots do manual labor, mostly simple, repetitive tasks, like placing one heavy thing onto another. Rob says this frees up workers, eliminating some of the most dull and dangerous tasks that are less desirable, so they can concentrate on more complicated duties. What we find generally is that after companies put in one of our robots and employees start to get comfortable with it, employees start raising their hands and saying, can I get one over in this area? Can I get one to help me? And they see that it's helping the company and themselves be more productive. 
And I'll say as well that our customers name the robots. They have names that some of them are human names and some of them are, you know, Harry or Tim or Obi-Wan. The humans working alongside Harry or Tim or Obi-Wan learn new skills too, like problem solving so they can troubleshoot. You know, a robot is programmed and designed to do a task, and it will do it very well. But when something is out of place or something is not working correctly, you need people to come in and see what's going on and what's wrong. Humans can reason about things, everything from seeing that a part is oriented slightly wrong and, and correcting for it without even thinking about it, using touch feedback, troubleshooting, all those types of things where people have to use their brain, they beat robots at, hands down. That human side is something we always want and are always going to want. And if you can build more humanity in, into your job, um, I think you'll be able to keep it. That's Graham Codrington. You heard him at the start of the episode. He's the researcher who specializes in work. In order to future-proof your career, Graham's a big proponent of continually improving your tech skills, even learning how to code a little. Not to become a professional coder or anything, but just so you can speak the language of automation. Still, he says that the very best way to future-proof your career is to become more human. And how exactly do we do that? Stay tuned after the break. You're listening to Fortune Favors the Bold, brought to you by MasterCard. As we've discussed in this episode, the way we work is changing. And that means that the skills we need to be successful are changing too. At MasterCard, employees come from many different backgrounds, sales, engineering, and communications, to name a few. But there's one skill that Kelly Jocelyn, chief talent officer believes will make all MasterCard employees more successful in the future. And that's learning agility. So it's actually not what you know today, but it's about your ability to constantly learn, to actually acquire new skills, to be curious, and to think about how you can be adapting to new ways of doing things. MasterCard employees are given opportunities to experiment and explore their interests beyond their day-to-day -day roles. Like, for example, they have the option to take on brand new assignments at their home office or at an office abroad. Mobility is something that I think at MasterCard we do incredibly well. We're a global organization and the opportunity to give our people a global career is good for our talent, but it's also good for our customers and clients. They have offices in Dubai, Singapore, Miami, just saying. To learn more about careers at MasterCard, visit mastercard.com and click the careers tab at the top of the page. Before the break, Graham told us that in order to future-proof our careers, the very best way to do so is to become more human. Play up skills that only we have and machines don't. And by that, he means to cultivate skills that require social and emotional intelligence, like empathy, storytelling, and creativity. Computers are brilliant at doing exactly what you tell them to do. Um, in fact, computers don't make mistakes. Only programmers of computers 
make mistakes, but that's not how life works. Um, so, you know, where we are in an environment where we need some creativity, uh, often just in, in, in the average business day, something that comes along that's never actually happened before, and you have to come up with something innovative, unusual. Um, so that's that's a place that, that as humans, we're still going to have some place to, to, to play, <laughs> so to speak. The other major quality that Graham says we should develop is intuition. Intuition is an interesting thing because probably the best definition of intuition is knowing when to break the rules and knowing you'll get away with it. Because the rules say do it this way, but your gut says, hang on, you know, maybe that's not exactly the right thing to do now. Or maybe there's a slightly better way to do it, even though the rules say this. Some people even say that's a little bit of what common sense is. It's knowing when you can just bend the rules a little bit. And research shows that the majority of employers rate skills like intuition, critical thinking, and problem solving as the most desired skills in their hiring process. Graham is actually looking forward to more automation in our lives because, like Rob from Hirebotics, he believes automation can replace the mundane, repetitive tasks that we do every day and give us more time to do the work that only we can do. Let me give you an example just to, to show you. I mean, if, if you're feeling a little bit, a little bit sick, a little bit poorly, you take yourself off to, to your local doctor. The first five minutes that you are actually with your doctor, to be honest, your doctor is pretty much on autopilot. Unless there's blood gushing out of a big hole in your body, the first thing your doctor's going to do is look in your throat, look in your eyes, look up your nose, look in your ears, take your temperature, feel your pulse, get your blood pressure. That's the standard protocol. So why doesn't a robot do that? Graham says that some U.S. pharmacies are actually already working on kiosks that do just that. And it gives an initial robot response. And then via virtual reality and and an internet connection, you are then connected to a doctor who isn't isn't in the same location, who then does the next layer. And the doctor then has more time to, to spend on people who maybe have got slightly worse conditions or maybe even a little bit more time developing their skills and Im- improving themselves. So I think it's it's a case of us recognizing this is coming already, getting excited about the fact that we need to get the machines to do all the jobs and tasks we didn't want to do anyway, and we're going to free ourselves up to do stuff that's much more valuable, interesting, um, and uh, productive for our organizations and in our lives. Okay, but what if your job includes these task machines will free up? What if your whole job could be replaced by automation? Here's futurist Amy Zalman again. Well, right now, the best evidence there is, is that the jobs that in the world that are most vulnerable to automation are correlated with those for which the least education is required. So the number one thing that somebody can do to help themselves in the near term, make sure that they have a job, is try to get an education. We have to do a thing. Be educated to get ready for this impending future. But this is complicated, right? 
given how fast things are changing, even a traditional four-year degree isn't necessarily guaranteed to future-proof. And education is expensive. It's not equally available to everyone, so it creates a gap between those who can afford it and those who can't. Organizations all over the world are working on various ways to fill that gap and to make lifelong learning more accessible to all. One of the ways people are tackling the problem is through massive open online courses, or MOOCs for short. MOOCs are classes taught by university professors and industry experts that are recorded or streamed on the internet and available at no or low cost. Griff Peterson is the program lead at Peer-to-Peer University, an organization that creates, curates, and distributes all different types of free, openly licensed learning resources. He believes that they are key to allowing us all to keep up with the skills of the future. If we're saying the world is changing fast, so you need to be able to do digital marketing you know, with a specific tool, it's like, well, hold on, you just said the world was changing fast, so why are you telling me that this is the skill that I need? Like, what you need to instill or what you need to support, rather, is a, you know, a sort of flexible, dynamic mindset in which someone is prepared for the next change. So who can take these classes? Any Anybody. Everything we do is openly licensed and free. Uh, we have a list of about 180 online courses right now. And if I look right now at what's happening, I see a lot of public speaking courses. I'm seeing some storytelling, machine learning, um, basic Spanish. There's a lot of language courses that are happening. Some of the most popular classes at P2PU are the public speaking classes and creative fiction writing classes. And this makes sense, right? Because these are human skills that develop intuition, empathy, and creativity. The skills that Graham says are most essential. P2PU's online classes also have an in-person element. They team up with local community centers to host what they call learning circles. Which are face-to-face study groups for people who want to meet uh, in their neighborhood to work through uh, a course together in a subject that they're interested in. Uh, we're working now, I think, with 89 different cities and towns around the world who are running learning circles as a form of popular education in their communities, whether it's at a public library or a university or a community center. The learning circles, like the courses themselves, are free. And Griff says once students start learning new skills through attending them, they keep on going. There's a guy named Melvin Foreman, and he's been trying to finish a book for, I think, a number of years. And he heard about a learning circle that was happening uh, at Detroit Public Library, and he showed up. And uh, he not only finished his book, but he then published it. And so he ended up taking a public speaking learning circle, which helped him on his book tour. And he took a third one, which I think was a digital marketing, um, which he said was just really helpful in getting the word out. Griff isn't just a MOOC booster. He's a student, too. I have taken a few courses. I've done the public speaking one. I did uh, one of the web design ones. I would love to be taking the Puerto Rican history and culture one, because I don't know much about Puerto Rican history and culture, and it seems really important. And that desire to keep learning, that's one quality we could all do with fostering. Here's Amy again. Everybody doesn't have to do everything, but... You know, wherever their curiosity led them, I would say be really curious. Future-proofing our career can seem tricky. We can't see the future. 
And yet, we know we need to be preparing for it all the time. We have enormous capacity to come up with solutions um, and innovations that help us thrive. And there is no reason why we can't do it now. And when people open up and they are willing to explore um, the opportunities that change offers them, they come up with, with solutions. Um, and we have a history of doing that. Amy's right. Humans always figure something out. Not without bumps, but we do it. And there are concrete things we can do right now to get ready for the future. Take classes, volunteer, join community interest groups, maker spaces, maybe even learn to code a little. And be curious. I really do try to follow my interests, to learn things that scare me and let myself be bad at doing something. For instance, I just started teaching myself to draw. And y'all, I am no Vincent Van Gogh. But read books, listen to podcasts, ask questions, and then find the answers to them. Because not only are these things enjoyable, but also they're kind of the things that help us become more human. And more human is key. Fortune Favors the Bold is a branded podcast from MasterCard and Gimlet Creative. This episode was produced by Carrie Ann Thomas, Caitlin Bagugi, Alua Kimi Aladisui, and Julia Batera. Nazanin Rafsajani is our creative director, and Sarah Geis is our editor. Katherine Anderson mixed this episode. Technical direction was from Zach Schmidt. Thank you to everyone who's left us a review. If you haven't told us what you think of the show, now's the time. Find Fortune Favors the Bold on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show, too. I'm Ashley C. Ford, and Fortune Favors the Bold will be back with a new episode soon.